everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we have the biggest event of 2023. It's here, and we are ready to talk about it. That is Barbenheimer. Uh, both the Barbie movie and uh, Oppenheimer came out this weekend, and it seems like everyone went and saw it, which is awesome. You know, you could argue the movies are back, even though last week not a lot of people went and saw Mission Impossible. Not a lot of people went and saw The Flash. So, you know, people are being picky, There's which is fine. And I think hopefully this sends a good message to the studios that, uh, you know, interesting, fresh new movies have a very good place in the hearts and minds of so many people out there. I think I saw something that they made a combined uh, something like $300 million. I think Barbie's coming out around $160 million domestic, and Oppenheimer's at like $80 million domestic, which is just insane. Uh, both movies coexisting at the same time. Obviously, Oppenheimer's a little longer, skews more towards an adult crowd, uh, and Barbie is, is sort of a phenomenon that's been waiting to happen for a very long time. Those toys have been around um, long before I was born. But uh, again, a good weekend for the movies, a good weekend for cinema. And so I'm pumped to talk about it. Uh, at the end, we will go over if there was a reigning champion in my eyes. And unfortunately, I was able to pinpoint who that was. Uh, and we will certainly talk about that as time goes on. But uh, what I'll do is I'll just kind of walk you through my Barbenheimer day. And, uh, and then we can kind of go from there. So uh, we saw Barbie first. Uh, it had 11.50 a.m. showing. Uh, I dressed up in my most pink attires I could. I had a bright pink polo and some pink shoes on. Uh, and it was awesome. When we were There were so many people wearing pink. There were people later in the day when we went and saw Oppenheimer in the evening that were uh, wearing pink. Great one what I remember was a, a dad, his wife, and their two kids. Uh, and the dad had a, like a big pink shirt on and pink shoes on as well. And I was just like, this is awesome. It was cool to see. Um, everyone kind of embracing uh, these movies, uh, especially after, you know, and I hadn't heard a lot about it beforehand. Obviously, some news cycles get to me, but it seemed like there's always, there's always some people coming out of the woodworks to hate on films uh, before they've even seen the film um, just because of the assumed content. And then they see it and same thing. They, they very quickly get offended by the movie because um, they're not comfortable in their own skin. And, uh, and that's sad. So th this is a really great movie to find out <laughs> how comfortable you are in your own skin in that sense, how confident you are as a person, um, because this is a it's a very wild movie. It's a very colorful movie. Uh, it's very crazy. And it, ha it has everything that I think, you know, a perfect movie could you could want from it, especially one that's just based on a toy. Uh, I loved Barbie. So we'll start there. Barbie was it was incredible. Uh, it was a a cinematic marvel to behold, um, something that I think, you know, if you'd have asked me earlier in the year about it too, I didn't, I don't even think I had it in my, uh, my top films of the year, um, which is interesting. I was actually looking back at that list and my number one anticipated movie, if you remember that episode was Transformers and my, how things have changed since that time. But that's the whole point of those. So Barbie, uh, and what I'm going to do in this review too, uh, I'm going to try to avoid spoilers, and, and there really aren't an insane amount of spoilers in this movie. Um, just beyond, I don't want to take away any of the viewing experiences that I had and you know spoil that for you because it was, it was an experience. And so there were so many moments of just joy and laughter and sadness in this, and also, you know, similarly in Oppenheimer too, 
uh, that again, I, I'm not going to dive into those types of details. I'll try to keep it a little more high level. I want this to be more of, again, a discussion because one of the, the fascinating things that we'll get to again is uh, just how connected these two movies are, surprisingly. And so you'll see that this, so the whole basis of Barbie, and uh, again, based, I would say, in real life and the ideas of um, capitalism and commercialization uh, around the Barbie doll, right? You know, they created this doll. And I, I will not say <laughs> that I can presume to be an expert about Barbies. I never played with Barbie dolls growing up. Uh, I knew some people who did. Uh, I did have some friends, some uh, girlfriends when I was younger who would, you know, we would try to play, but, uh, you know, I never really, I was much more into, uh, <laughs> give me, I was much more into Oppenheimer in that sense. Like, you know, playing soldier out in the backyard always seemed to be a little more fun to me, but, um, I always respected it just, uh, you know, anyone who collects anything, I'm always respectful of that. You know, if, if collecting dolls is your thing, go for it, especially now, right? There are hundreds of different Barbies that you can buy, uh, you know, apart from the stereotypical Barbie, which is uh, who Margot Robbie plays, um, you know, and they go through that in the film. They talk about all these different types of Barbies. It's a very, uh, it's a very meta movie in that sense too. And I think one of my favorite things about this film is that it does not take itself seriously at all. So if you, and if it happened to me multiple times in the movie where in my head I started saying, well, hang on a minute, how is that possible? And then I was like, Alex, stop and enjoy the movie. They, they do a good job of not caring. And so if you're going to go into this going, I need this movie to be 100% logical, you are not going to enjoy this movie because there's a lot in here that doesn't make sense. Uh, and so, and we'll start with that, at least so, you know, if you're wondering and on the fence about it, um, Barbie lives in a Barbie world. She lives in Barbie land, uh, which is separate from the real world. And they do make a point of showing you that, that there are two separate worlds. Uh, and essentially, at least the way that I kind of experienced it was Barbie land is the sort of collective imagination of people playing with Barbie dolls. Uh, and so it's, you know, if you think about that again, when you're a kid and you're playing with the dolls and you've just got the story and imagery in your head while you're playing that imagery, that is Barbie land. And so I loved that idea. All the houses, all the cars, all of, uh, you know, any physical object looked like a toy, looked like a Barbie doll model. Uh, except the people, obviously they were humans, you know, acting, but you know, when they're driving around in cars, it looks like someone, an invisible hand is pushing them or that, you know, when they walk, they walk normally, but then, the, you know, when there's wide shots, there's just certain things where it really looked like, um, you know, there's a scene where Barbie, she either jumps out of her second story window or falls out of it, but whatever it is, um, she like floats down to the ground, almost as if a kid is like guiding the doll down onto the ground. I thought that was really, really cool. Very inspired. Um, obviously, it doesn't look like that when they go into the real world. But then the whole thing is, and the whole the whole plot of this movie is that Barbie, uh, everything is perfect in Barbie Land. And Helen Mirren plays the narrator who's kind of describing this world and saying, you know, in Barbie Land, the Barbies think that uh, everything has been cured. All women are powerful. They can do whatever they want. They can be whatever they want. And that's because, right, the dolls are that way now. We have, you know, Dr. Barbie and Vet Barbie. You know, Barbie can be whoever you want it to be at this point in time, uh, which is great. 
but they make a very clear point to point out that that is not how the real world is, though, right? You know, women are still struggling to be treated equally, and uh, this movie does a really good job of kind of putting that on display. So again, if you're one of those people that's maybe uncomfortable with where you're at in life and are worried that (laughs) everyone is out to get you and to take your job away and to supplant you as the most important person in the world, you might not like this movie. You might be very offended by this movie because you're very uncomfortable with that sort of uh, dynamic. But if you're someone who just, you know, thinks that everyone should be treated equally, this is a really fun movie and you'll, you'll enjoy it in that respect because they call that out a lot. And, uh, and so the whole thing is, you know, everything is perfect. Barbie's having a great time. And all of a sudden she, uh, she asks somebody if you ever, if they ever thought about dying and the entire room gets quiet and she kind of corrects herself and says, I meant I'm dying to dance and like starts dancing. But it brings up this really interesting quest that she kind of goes on, which is, um, she learns from, and again, I won't spoil these pieces. You can, you know, you see, you might even see it in the trailer, but I won't spoil it. She goes to seek out a certain Barbie that is uh, played, uh, you know, absolutely amazing by Kate McKinnon. And, uh, you know, this Barbie essentially uh, directs her to go to the real world, you know, plots it out on a map for her. Here's how you get to the real world. Again, do not think too hard about this because it involves you have to like ride a Barbie boat or you get in a Barbie car and go and then go into a Barbie boat, a Barbie spaceship, a Barbie bike, and then you're in the real world. And it's literally a montage of them riding in these vehicles back to back to back to get in. And they do this multiple times going back to Barbie land and from Barbie land. Uh, and it was really funny because again, no one's like, this just doesn't make sense. Everyone, everyone in the movie goes with it. So you, you gotta go with it as, as kind of like an audience member in that sense. But um, so she goes to the real world to figure out who, cause, and she's explained, you know, every Barbie is kind of created or, you know, um, I guess influenced by someone out in the real world. And so when she comes out into the real world, word spreads and it's her and Ken, the, uh, uh Ryan Gosling, Ken, who is just phenomenal. I mean, I, I can't find a bad performance in this movie. You've got Ryan Gosling, Marco Robbie, Issa Rae was one of my favorites as President Barbie. Alexandra Shipp is in this. Emma McKay, Hari Neff, Sharon Rooney. Uh, Dua Lipa is a Barbie. And then you've got all kinds... Emerald Fennell is in this as well. Um, but then there's also Kens, and you've got Simu Liu as a Ken, Kingsley Benadir as a Ken, so multiple Marvel characters in here. Um, and then obviously, again, on top of Ryan Gosling. And so he kind of sneaks in. And I'll say, too, uh, essentially what the, the plot is, is Margot Robbie and, and her as a Barbie is going to the real world to essentially experience what it's like to be a female in the real world. And so it turns out that the person who kind of, you know, quote unquote, created her uh, is kind of going through a crisis of their own. And uh, like I said, I won't share who that is because I was under the impression it was one person. It ends up being um, possibly someone else. Again, trying to keep the spoilers light and we'll, we'll talk about some of these characters, you know, generally later. That way it, it gives it a little bit of time. But um, really cool, really powerful message of, of, you know, still imagining as an adult, missing those days of when you were a kid. And then again, this overarching idea of just how hard it is to be a woman in this current world. And, uh, and you can feel that throughout the entire movie. It permeates in every single scene. 
um, whether that's comments that a certain Barbie makes or just plot lines, and, and that ties directly into Ken's storyline. And so in Barbie Land, all of the Barbies are perfect. They all have great jobs. All of the Kens are basically just eye candy. And so they even make a call out in the movie that it's essentially the real world reversed, right? And, uh, and so Ken wants the love of Barbie. He wants Barbie to love her, but again, she's, she doesn't need that. She's, she's her own person. And so he's kind of very jealous, but he sneaks on to try and get close to her. And so he comes to the real world. And when he does, he learns about the patriarchy. And that was absolutely hilarious to see Ryan Gosling playing these out of trying to be a macho man and learning about what it is, you know, what, what makes a man a man and, and how we can bring that back to Barbie land so that they can be in charge uh, was, again, just a fascinating look at the dynamics of, of men and women in, the, in America. I mean, obviously, you could say in the world, too, but this is obviously a toy that was made in America and based on... Uh, if I'm remembering right, call me crazy. I think the Barbie dolls were made around fifties, sixties, something like that. And, uh, you know, they captured that time period. And so a lot of girls grew up idolizing that sort of thing. And, uh, so there's a lot of stereotypes in the movie. There's a lot of, um, stereotypes that are broken in this movie as well. Uh, both for comedic effect and then also for emotional impact as well. Uh, and it, it was great, honestly, much needed, especially when you look at how many people went and saw this movie, how many, uh, I'm assuming young people went and saw this movie and they're getting again, a first look at, you know, this is kind of what the real world's like a little bit. I'm sure they've had those conversations with their parents already. If not, there's going to be a lot of interesting car rides on the way home, but it really is a, a wake up call in a sense for those that maybe were putting it aside and not wanting to acknowledge the way that the world currently uh, works, or at least the way that it used to work in some respects. I know obviously things are getting better, but we have a long way to go. And, uh, and so I hope there are more conversations that come out of this from people. Again, I think, I think I heard some reviews of people saying that's why they hated this movie, because uh, again, they like the way things are, or they wish for it to be the way things used to be. Uh, the way things Ken wanted it to be in the movie, uh, which was great. Again, I, from a comedic perspective, was really funny. Um, and the way that it all ends up, the way that um, Barbie essentially has to figure out how are, how are we going to do this? How do we? How do I, you know, reconcile these feelings I'm getting of, of essentially learning to become a human with um, saving Barbie Land and keeping it a perfect place? And so, uh, again, it's very coming of age, but at the same time, the, the message really felt timeless. There are some really powerful scenes in this movie, um, particularly with older people, older women. There's a scene with a lady on a bus uh, ramp, which I, I could have swore someone said that this was the person who actually created Barbie, but then I saw that, that, that she's passed away. Uh, but then there's uh, someone who actually plays that person and has some scenes in the movie that are really powerful as well. So, um, you know, I saw some things saying, get ready to cry. I did not cry in this movie. I didn't get super emotional in this movie, um, but I just had good feelings the entire time. So uh, if you're thinking this might be an overly emotional movie, it, it may be for some. It wasn't for me, um, which is fine. Again, you know, I don't need to be bawling my eyes out in every single movie. And honestly, I'm okay with not doing that in some movies because... Um, you know, sometimes it can get a little intense. But uh, on top of that, uh, I want to point out the music is just incredible. I listened to the soundtrack the night before and I could not get like eight or nine of the songs out of my head. 
and kudos to them. It felt just like the Black Panther and Shang-Chi soundtracks where almost every single song is an original song and they're all in the movie. So, ugh, like uh, Lizzo's Pink at the beginning was an amazing way to kick it off. Haim has a song in there, which, uh, you know, you know me, I love Haim. Ava Max has a song. Uh, Charlie XCX. Uh, Ryan Gosling has a song or two, uh, which was, again, completely unexpected. I won't spoil what the songs are unless you've listened to the soundtrack already. But it was, again, leaving this movie, I was just, I felt invigorated. I was like, oh, this was just, it was so much fun. Every piece of it felt like a party. The costume designs, the set designs. I'm I'm hoping that this gets some awards love because I think this movie, and again, in Barbenheimer in general, we, you're capturing this moment in time where, you know, we're still, we keep saying the movies are back, baby. But then you have these things where no one went and saw The Flash. No one went and saw Shazam. Uh, no one went and saw, well, I mean, I guess some did. Mission Impossible was another one. And, and there's just, there's things that people are choosing not to go see now in theaters versus maybe going every single week. I know I'm going to be one of those people now that I don't have a list. I, I think I said that last week, but the Cinemark uh, deal is uh, essentially twice as expensive overall, if not even more so. Um, so you got to be picky and choosy with uh, with some of these movies. And so to see that, transcend this where you've got a movie that again you look at it at face value and you say oh this made me this movie it's pg-13 it's probably teenage girls but when you have an 160 million dollar opening weekend i mean i was looking to see to go see it again and the theater is still packed and this is not this is not sound of freedom packed where you know people are just buying seats to make it look like they're making a ton of money this is legit people going to see it people dressing up to go see this movie that's amazing when's the last time we had a movie like this that wasn't a superhero movie so i think in that respect again i really hope that this sends a message to hollywood that we want more movies like this more movies where directors have and and again that's a this is a barmanheimer thing both christopher nolan and greta gerwig for this film they got to run with it they you know written by gerwig as well and her partner noah bombach um, everything about this movie just felt fresh. It felt fresh, new, um, but familiar in that same sense of um, just the kind of uh, movie that, again, I think captures a generation, captures a time. I was telling, I was telling the people I went with um, afterwards. I was just like, could you imagine being a teenager? Um, and it's weird because I always assumed that I was seeing all these movies. You know how hard it is to grow up. But could you imagine being a teenager at this time, especially a teenage girl? seeing this movie like this is your iron man this is your this is your movie that you know you'll remember where you were when you saw this you're going to be seeing this and i related a lot to like the hangover remember when the hangover came out that was for me that was right after i graduated high school into going to college and same thing it was a comedy that was very low budget uh that absolutely blew up everyone went and saw it it had kind of newish actors in it like zach galifianakis um, that put them all on the map, and uh, and then everyone was talking about it and quoting it in college for years. I would look at it the same as like Anchorman, right? This is going to be that movie where you're going to have people quoting things that Ken says, quoting things that Barbie says. Um, I mean, even his song, right? He says, "I'm just Ken. Anywhere else, I'd be a ten. Uh, it's it just it's hilarious how how much they're able to tease themselves while also um, kind of pointing out the flaws in society and, and showing, you know, ways that we can improve it, ways for us to 
accept who we are um, and not just who we are as a man or as a woman, but just as a person, as a human being. And I think that's the most important message of this movie is just the idea of what it means to be human. And to have that sort of conversation in a movie based on and about a doll uh, is fascinating. And again, just something that I think needs to be praised and uh, needs to be pointed out. So like I said, fra absolutely fresh, loved Barbie. And uh, like I already said, can't wait to see it again. So then, you know, the day went home, took a nap, relaxed for a little bit. And then later that evening came Oppenheimer which uh, is, again, and so before I start, here's what we'll say, you know, kind of to describe it, they really, this is pure duality from a cinema perspective. And I'm, I've already started seeing people trying to make fetch happen when it comes to Barbenheimer of like, oh, we got, uh, I think I saw something like, what was it, Napoleon and some other mo movie that come out in December. This is the new Barbenheimer or something about, um, some really violent movie and Paw Patrol. This is going to be the new Barbara. You can't make this stuff happen. It happens organically on its own. And it's not something that I think people can prepare for because people are booking out their movie dates years in advance. And so to have, not just to have two movies like this happen, but to have them be so purposeful, which again, two separate studios, but look at it this way. Both movies have insanely deep casts of excellent actors um, both of them as well are kind of historical in that sense and you know again i'm not confirmed on when barbie was made but kind of around that 40s to 50s to 60s range uh, and then they're both also about societal ills uh, from reverse perspectives right so this movie oppenheimer is all about the patriarchy and so it's is dealing with again from a historical perspective where there are uh, you know, there's certainly a few women in the movie, uh, and it's even funny to say that as a sentence, but in reality, there's really two women in this movie. There's Emily Blunt, and then there's uh, Florence Pugh. Again, there's some side actors and other actors in it, but there's only two. Whereas in, in Barbie, it's almost all women, and then there's less men. Uh, there's a joke in the Barbie movie where the people who created Barbie the, in the real world, the, uh, the kind of CEO and suite of executives, are all white men. Oppenheimer is all white men as well because at that time that's the only people who could get science jobs that's the only people who were in positions of power in the government and so again it's just this neither of them are really acknowledging the other but this fascinating duality between the two movies that just made it such an interesting palette uh just from in terms of a meal uh you know in regards to these movies like ugh, totally different but so much similarities in those regards um, but Oppenheimer as well, again, you know, beyond that, it's very hard to compare these movies. Barbie, they really are polar opposites. Barbie is fun uh, and uh, funny. This movie is very serious, very, um, what would even be the word? But it's it's got a lot of kinetic energy in it. Barbie has a lot of kinetic energy in it as well. But this one is just, this movie feels like it's constantly moving forward. Every scene felt like it was propelling itself forward. And uh, Christopher Nolan's done it again. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen a Christopher Nolan movie that I haven't liked. There's just been ones that I've liked a little bit less than his other movies. And it's really hard to compare his films to other films because they're so uniquely him. And I think this movie, he is at his top form when it comes to um, technical work 
on the film. I think he really started digging into it. I mean, he was playing with it in his older movies, you know, with, you know, Interstellar, um, Prestige, Inception, playing with time and that idea of time. Whereas, uh, you know, in Dunkirk, I think you hit the apex of his, you know, time, right? Because you're focused on three different stories that take place over, was it over a week, a day, and an hour? Um, but then this film, from a technical sound and editing perspective, I think he's hit his peak here because there's so much where, you know, Oppenheimer has these intrusive thoughts that come into his mind that you see in the trailer where it's, you know, little bits of an explosion. It sounds like an explosion and it's stuff in it. That's stuff in his head. So he's like dreaming about this or wondering about how is this going to be possible? How can we make this bomb? And that sort of thing pops off in his head, and it's like, that's really, really cool. But they don't ever go into explaining more about it, and it kind of tapers off towards the end. There's even there's a really strange thing, and I wouldn't even call this a spoiler because, you know, maybe someone else sees this. Let me know. There's a thing at the very, very beginning, opening scenes of the movie, where uh, text comes on the screen and says, number one, fission. And then probably a minute later, number two, fusion and then and so that's i'm not joking within the first five minutes of the movie uh and we never see anything more about it the whole rest of the three hours which i was really i kept thinking about the whole movie i was like are we going to come back to this is he doing like uh you know this is part one this is part two um but it didn't end up panning out to anything which was really um something i wanted to call out just because again i was like what what is the point of this this is very strange um but so this movie overall obviously again it is a biopic it's a historical drama that's also kind of a thriller about j robert oppenheimer um it takes place uh just as you know christopher nolan does there's a bit of it that's flashback of him kind of becoming who he is learn you know in college learning things he's kind of troubled and then to the point of getting on to the manhattan project developing building the bomb testing the bomb and then world war ii ending after the bomb goes off and him going through a interview process uh, around his security clearance and then the final piece of it being um uh, robert downey jr's character is going through a um a Senate confirmation hearing uh, for he wants to be, I think it's a commerce um, in the chair of commerce or something like that. And so, you know, as, as you know, you know, the Senate has to confirm them and uh, his relationship with Oppenheimer is brought up. Uh, and that's kind of like the few, uh, the furthest future piece of it as well. Um, there's a couple of other moments where I think you see Cillian Murphy or Killian Murphy a little, a little older, um, but overall, he's phenomenal. I mean, he, he does an amazing job, especially because I feel like most of the things he, I've seen him in recently, um, he has this heavy Irish accent in it. It is completely gone. You can't even tell in this movie. Um, but he's just, he's a, a, you know, a highbrow intelligent guy. And so he's got, a, there's a lot of really, really beautiful intellectual conversations in this movie, um, him talking with people. Uh, but they really dive into his um, his ties with the Communist Party, with people who were communists uh, during that time, which, again, I thought was very interesting um, because there were some criticisms about Barbie saying that it was a communist propaganda from the right. And this movie deals with the right attacking him for being too far left and being associated with the Communist Party to him constantly saying, 
I was never a part of the Communist Party. I just entertained some of their beliefs, like anybody who has an open mind does, right? He says, I, you know, I love talking about that sort of stuff, um, which was interesting. But if you remember during that time period, you know, a lot like uh, certain other time periods, uh, if you associated with certain parties, uh, you were blacklisted. And so the problem was, and the irony of it all, and this is, I don't know if you want to call this a nitpick. This movie is three hours long. But it's another one of those movies where you can sum up the plot of this movie in about five minutes. And so we'll see if I'm able to do it right now. But again, the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer. He uh, is an incredibly brilliant physicist ahead of his time who is recruited to help build the bombs um, that they drop on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan uh, to end World War II and uh, basically part of the arms race to be the first country to build a bomb, his whole thought process being, if we do that, we can prevent future war. And um, obviously that's not what happens, right? The bombs are built and he realizes, you know, oh, what have I done? Um, but at the same time, it's he knew what he was doing going into it, um, but it really was this whole, you know, the devil is going to get there either way. Like, it really was a, we need to be the ones to get there first so that we can shut this all down. Uh, which, again, back then, I, I can't argue with it. I wasn't there at the time when those decisions were being made, uh, and we are living in the world that has been created because of Oppenheimer. Um, or are we living in the world that's been created because of Barbie? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question to think about. But, uh, okay, so, um, you know, the bombs go off. Afterwards, he becomes a very vocal proponent for denuclearization, for really saying, hey, like, I understand that we have these bombs, but we do not need to be making more bombs. We do not need to be building bigger bombs. Really trying to de-escalate this process because, as it always happens, the government wants to keep doing that. And so, in doing so, the government kind of puts together, and this is all real, I, you know, I, I read a few things about Oppenheimer beforehand, I'm sure there's a couple of liberties that are taken, but for the most part, this movie is accurate to a T, in that the government wanted to find a reason to get take away his security clearance, because he had a clearance while he was making the bomb, and because of that clearance, he's allowed to get into these certain meetings where he can voice those concerns, essentially the concerns of the world, that we need to not go crazy with this sort of technology. And they weren't having that. So they kind of come up with a sham sort of hearing behind closed doors. I'll be honest, most of the movie is this sham hearing behind closed doors. Uh, or at least it, it flashes through scenes throughout the entire movie. So if you're a fan of watching people talk in a room for a really long time, a very small room. Again, Nolan's playing with space. He's playing with sound and it all works. Um, but if that's your sort of thing, you may not like this movie as much. Um, again, just calling that out. There's there's good and bads for both of these films, but um, and then again, you know, by the end of it, as history showed, they did take away his security clearance. He did not pass due to um, comments that people that worked with him said um, because it just it was a bad time to be associated in any way, shape, or form with the Communist Party, uh, and he unfortunately had been at the time. Again, you know, you pick and choose what you want to tell somebody of. It's just, it's frustrating beyond belief that our country has gone through all of these different things and struggled so hard to just treat people equally. It doesn't matter who that person is, it's just really frustrating. But And you see that on full scale here. 
And, uh, and again, I won't spoil the twist if you even want to call there being a twist. Um, and especially if you know the history, there is no twist. I didn't know it, so it was enjoyable. All I'll say is it has something to do with Robert Downey Jr., um, who was also incredible. He was great. Uh, I will point out that um, he was talking a little bit of trash about Marvel, and that's okay. He's allowed to do it. He's taken their money. Um, I, you know, I personally would never speak ill of my employer. He essentially said it's it was really tough and interesting and challenging to do this role after all the Marvel movies because you know I was having to play the same character over and over. I'm giggling because the character he plays, there's a scene towards the end where he's getting really mad and he acts the exact same way he did in Endgame when he was yelling at Steve. Exactly the same. To the point where I was like, his hand motions were the exact same. And I'm like, so how hard are you acting or how how much uh, new info are you drawing on to do this performance when it seems like you're pulling from Marvel, <laughs> pulling from your time as... Tony Stark, I have no idea. But, again, that little quip aside, he was fantastic. I thought he was so good. Again, not a bad performance in this movie. Um, this Barbenheimer could have gone very differently. There was so much hype going into this. And I think you're going to see the true test is going to be next weekend. Because I think all that's coming out next weekend is Haunted Mansion. I don't anticipate that doing super well. Uh, and the question is going to be, is Mission Impossible going to come back? Or is Barbenheimer going to have a holdover? And so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Matt Damon is in it. He does great. Uh, Emily Blunt, also great as Kitty Oppenheimer. She has a great scene at the end where she is talking. Um, she's being interviewed as well and just does an, an amazing job. Um, but again, she you know, not, doesn't get a lot to work with. Um, she's a very nuanced housewife, um, which again, it's like that's what it was during that time period. So there's not much they could give her. But at the same time, they've given her in this movie more than what others might have with the same script. She uh, honestly is a really terrible mom in my eyes based on the things that I saw. I was not a fan of Emily Blunt in this movie. Um, I, I was not a fan of Kitty Oppenheimer in this movie. Emily Blunt was great. Um, Alden Ehrenreich was in this. He's a Senate aide to Robert Downey Jr., very the, the thing I think that was so incredible about this movie is there are so many faces in here, and every single one of them gets a little moment to shine. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich does. Uh, we got Jason Clark is in here, and I kept thinking, man, he would be perfect for a Ted Cruz biopic, the way he's kind of in this movie. Um, who we got? Macon Blair was in here. James Darcy is in here as well from Endgame, from uh, you know the Agents of Shield, or it's not Agents of Shield from Agent Carter. Um, again, like two scenes. Kenneth Branagh is in here and does great. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I'm looking here and that, that's the list on IMDb, but I know there's so many more. Like I said, Florence Pugh is great. Um, she definitely earns the R rating for the movie. And uh, Matt, yeah, because Matt Damon only had one F word, and I think that was the only one in the entire one. There's a guy, old, older man, who plays Albert Einstein. Um, I don't know if I'm going to just see if I can pull. I'm going to pull up this whole cast and crew and see if we can get anyone else because there's so many. Alex Wolf was in here, which was great. Josh Hartnett plays Ernst Lawrence. He was amazing. Every time Josh Hartnett was on screen, I was hooked. He. Um, He's like upset at Oppenheimer for his beliefs, but he's still his friend. And so I, it was a very nuanced performance of like, this is one way that you could treat somebody who maybe is a good friend of yours, but has differing beliefs of yours. Um, really awesome there. 
Uh, let's see if anyone else. Yeah, so Florence Pugh. Oh, um, Benny Safdie plays, uh, I think his name's Teller. He was amazing. He was one of my favorites from the movie. Just Benny Safdie always, to me, captures the screen whenever he's on it. Um, Edward Teller, another scientist he plays. He's essentially the one that kind of came up with the idea of a hydrogen bomb, uh, which is absolutely terrifying. But Josh Peck was in here. He had some good scenes. Uh, Dane DeHaan was in here as well. I mean, it, it, David Dusmalkian was in here. Uh, it's just, it was really, Casey Affleck was in here for a couple of scenes. I'm, I'm scooting down this list. Uh, just incredible. I think Rami Malek as well. Um, it's one of those ones where you got to watch it and be like, oh, oh, you know, I got it. I got the, you know, I see it. I see that person. I know who that is. Uh, cause again, they all, they all had good parts. The little parts that they had, there's, I forget what the guy's name is, but he played Heisenberg who was the, uh, the German physicist who was working on the bomb for Germany. Um, great scenes with him, too, of just the um, understanding between him and Oppenheimer of like, hey, we are forces to be reckoned with. There's a Someone says a comment in here where he says, you know, you, you may act self-important, but you are actually important, someone says to him. So he's, he's constantly grappling with who he is as a human being and what he has done. So again, a lot of similarities to Barbie in that regard too. Um, but just, there's a, there's a lot of really interesting similarities. But overall, like I said, I really liked it. I thought it was really great. Uh, and that kind of leads us to the back half of our conversation, which is um, I've been seeing a lot of, you know, perfect 10 reviews for this movie. And I don't, I don't think it's a perfect 10. And I, I'm not, uh, I, this movie to its credit has prompted me to truly embrace the idea of a favorite movie versus a best movie and so i think this is something that you know one day i'm going to make a list on of and this is a great way to practice it because you guys you could do this at home i would love to hear what your lists are um and this is something you know we could have discussions on forever what are the top 10 best movies of all time this this list should be 100% objective based, you know, movies like The Godfather, um, you know, and some of these, I even wonder if they, you know, Avengers Endgame, would that be one? I have no idea. I'm just thinking, what are, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey, those films that you could, historians have documented over and over based on the technical quality, the, uh, the performances that this movie, hands down, is incredible right i will admit nacho libre is not going to be on the top 10 best of all time i can handle that i can handle that but then you make your second list which is your top 10 favorite movies these are the movies that you could argue all day long that this movie is great but someone else is probably going to be like no nah, i don't like that movie um, to me, a favorite movie is a movie that you could watch over and over. So you could even put it that way. What are the top 10 movies that you would want with you on a deserted island? These are the only 10 movie, only 10 movies that you could watch for the rest of your life. Would I want Godfather on that list? Probably not. I don't think, I mean, I, that's a movie that I watch every, I don't even know when the last time I watched it was. I was obsessed with it when I was younger. Uh, and I bring up Godfather because there's some great Godfather references in uh, <laughs> in Barbie. But, uh, you know, Francis Coppola is just amazing. Let me, uh, let me tell you a little bit more about him. Um, it's it, it just th this conversation between Barbie and Oppenheimer, to me, 
you could argue that Oppenheimer is technically a better movie. And I wouldn't argue against that. Again, the sound design, the editing, the score. Uh, but then, I don't know, the score in Barbie is really good. The music in Barbie is really good. Um, but they don't play with sound. They don't play with musical or uh, cinematic things like that. But they're talking about really heady beliefs, uh, which you know Oppenheimer is as well. So, um, like I said, I think of these two movies, and this isn't a think. This is I confirmed. Barbie is my favorite <laughs> of the two. I will admit that. Um, is Oppenheimer a better movie? Yeah, possibly. Yes, I could. I could agree with many points that people could point out about why Oppenheimer is a better better movie but if you're going to tell me why it's it should be my favorite over barbie that's never going to happen because when i left the theater uh i went with my buddy and i said i think i liked barbie better he was like yep yep me too uh and the idea behind it being i was like i want to see barbie again right now and i probably am good on seeing oppenheimer for at least five years uh it's really one of those movies like dunkirk and that's where i would put it in my nolan list is right around Dunkirk of really great, technically a marvel, but it's not something that I need to see all the time that I need to digest over and over. Like, um, you know, something like Nacho Libre, which again, call it out, whether that's that, MacGruber, you know, typically those movies that are a little little sillier that I, I tend to connect with a lot more. So that's where I dropped this uh, into y'all's lap. So uh, I would love to hear if you have the same feelings. Like I said, most people I've seen, I think, are agreeing that Oppenheimer is their pick of the two. Um, but hey, if you're 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 literally comparing gold to silver at this point in in reality. I mean, IGN gave Oppenheimer a ten and Barbie a nine. We are living in a world where you can go see two incredible movies in theaters right now. And if you've seen those already, there are other incredible movies that you can see in movie theaters as well. There's plenty of uh, plenty of things out there to be seen. Uh, but that's what we're going to wrap up our discussion on this. So, like I said, I think I think this weekend was a huge success, uh, both for the film and for the film fans out there. Uh, I'm really excited if something like this happens again. I can't wait. Um, these are the sort of things that just it, they bring people together. Everyone's in the theater at the same time, and this is this is what Nicole Kidman was talking about. Um, this is what she's she's been trying to get across every single time you're sitting down in AMC. And so we're here. We're living in it. Um, so get your butt out there, go see a movie, and uh, bring as many people with you as you can, or go by yourself. Honestly, both of those sound great. Um, but that is what's going to do it for us here at Comics and Cinema. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies.